France has entered its second week of unrest after riots triggered by the police killing of a teenager of North African descent spread across the country. 17-year-old Naël Merzouk, from the Parisian suburb of Nanterre, was shot dead in his car at point-blank range by a policeman. France is reeling from his death. Cars have been set on fire and shops looted by rioters. And tens of thousands of police officers have been mobilized to the streets. The killing and its aftermath have prompted a divisive debate on police reform, race and equality in French media and politics, with some blaming migration and others institutionalized racism. This week, French President Emmanuel Macron has been meeting with mayors and officials to explore what he described as the deeper reasons that led to these events. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm Lama Shahadi, and this week we're looking into France's riots, asking why the police killing of Nael sparked countrywide grief and unrest. But before we start, if you want to get all the latest episodes as soon as they come out, then just hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts. The National's correspondent, Suniva Rose, is in Paris, covering the riots and their aftermath. Suniva, tell us what you've seen today. So today I spent a lot of time in the northern suburb of Aubervilliers. Um, it's an area that was hit by uh, the riots, um, and specifically the, a bunch of public buses were burnt, which uh, also damaged a building uh, that is going to be used for the Olympic Games, actually a swimming pool that's being built for the local community. So what you hear a lot on the ground, uh, I mean, when, when people, you know, you still have people stopping and looking at the damage because it's still very visually there. You know, there's a lot of blackened street, um, melted tar on, on the road from the burning um, garbage. And, you know, some of the walls are, are still black. And, and you hear in conversations like very, you know, angry uh, locals, like angry mothers saying, I don't understand how, you know, people, you know, let their children do this kind of thing. Um, people are really, you know, they don't have any solidarity for this kind of violence and looting that we've seen in the past days, even though they will tell you like the day that Niall died, um, you know, I was angry. I, you know, they all say it's unfair that he died. He was only 17. He shouldn't have been shot in the chest. Maybe the policeman could have shot the wheels of the car to stop the car, but this boy didn't deserve to die. But then, you know, what happened after for them is something separate. Um, so the mother of Niall said the officer who killed her son saw an Arab face and wanted to take his life. What do you think she meant by this? Yeah, so I, I feel like this uh, brings us to the thorny issue of racism in France. Um, from the outside, I understand that France is viewed as quite, you know, a, a racist society where you have a, a big number of immigrants, especially from North Africa and West Africa, who, have, who, who say they have trouble you know, uh, more trouble than, you know, white people finding work or more discrimination from the police. Um, the initial reaction when you ask people, even in the suburbs, you know, about racism is like, you know, no, France is not that racist, but actually, let me think, you know, this and this and this happened to me. And they'll give you a list of actually what happened to them, what are actually racist incidents. And then the conclusion is, yes, you know, well, maybe racism is everywhere. I think um, it's a little bit hard because the debate is so polarized right now to actually have a, a nuanced discussion about racism. But there definitely seems to be a feeling that if you are um, of North African or West African descent in France, you'll have a higher probability uh, even of being controlled by the police if you're walking 
you know, in the street, in a kind of in one of these suburbs at night. There's a, a young man who who works in a youth a sports center actually. Sorry, in Aubervilliers, he's 21 years old. Uh, his parents are from the Congo, and he told me that um, when he was a bit younger, he was 17 years old or 16 years old. He was walking down the street one night and with a, a white French friend and that they were treated in a very different way. The white friend, the police asked him, you know, why are you here? Don't you think it's dangerous here? And with him, who is black, they were much more aggressive. Um, and he felt like, you know, because I'm black now, I have to I have to feel like I have to always be extra calm. I always have to make myself a little bit smaller because I can't take the risk of being you know, physically hurt if I meet the police. So, but then they'll say, then he said, well, it only happened once in my life. So it, it, it does seem to happen, even though it's maybe not widespread, but you definitely have this feeling that people, you know, feel there is racism, but it's a little bit hard to understand if it's institutionalized racism or, you know, there's a few rotten apples in the police. And I think that's where the debate kind of lies um, right now, at least to, with the people I spoke to. What about police violence? What are people saying about that? Are killings, are police killings like this common? I was speaking to uh, someone who lives in a southern suburb where actually a few nights ago, uh, you know, some rioters tried to burn down the house of a local mayor. And he was telling me, well, uh, he, he was uh, black and he said that, uh, well, when you think of it, every time there's an, a violent incident or a death or very often, um, that the young person or the young man who's targeted is usually black or North African origin. It's just a fact that police violence uh, usually involves more, uh, in his eyes, involves more people who, who are not white. So um, there, there is definitely a feeling that police violence targets more um, people who are of North African or immigrant origin. Um, but then when you try to ask people, well, what's the solution? You know, what does the government, government need to do to, to calm things down? That's, that's just the million dollar question. And, and nobody really has, has the answer. I was speaking today in Aubervilliers to a man of, who is Algerian, actually, but he lives in France. He's children of French. And he was saying he would have liked uh, the president Macron to, to, you know, have a much firmer stance on the first day when Niall died to, to really take position and condemn the policeman and promise everyone that he would go to prison. He said maybe that would have calmed um, the situation. But obviously that's a very, you know, politically difficult thing to do maybe for Mr. Macron. So, um, yeah, there is really no, no clear answers to how France can get out of this cycle of violence. And tell us about France's North African and, and West African migrant communities. Um, how, how did they come, in what context did they come to France? Well, uh, historically, France, you know, the, these are countries that used to be former French colonies. So you have a big migration uh, that comes from former French colonies. So whether it's Africa, uh, West Africa, sorry, I mean, like Senegal and Mali or Ivory Coast or also Algeria and uh, Morocco. In France, it's not legal. You can't actually find statistics on people and their origins. But there is an assumption that France has one of the highest uh, migrant communities in Western Europe, um, from what I understand. So. Everybody I spoke to, the young people I spoke to, you know, whether they're 15 years old or 47 years old, they say that what's important is education, um, that it's important. The role of the mothers are important uh, to not let these young people just, you know, hang out in the street and get into trouble. They have acknowledged that there's a big drug problem in these areas. Um, there's a lack of infrastructure. Uh, the youth feel marginalized. They feel like they've all been pushed into the, these kind of immigration pockets. Um, like the Algerian man I was speaking to said when he arrived 20 years ago, there was a mix of communities and now it's only uh, North African, West Africans that live in, in the area he lives in. Um, and so I think 
they feel unheard, they feel marginalized. And what about the shop owners whose businesses were targeted by the looters? What has been their response to you? I think shop owners are just really in shock. I was in Montreuil, which is an eastern suburb, yesterday, and I spoke to lots of shop owners. Um, a lot of shops in the centre were boarded up. So we're speaking, you know, um, a dry cleaner's shop, a hairdresser's shop, uh, a supermarket, a pharmacy. Um, and people were just astounded at the violence um, that looters showed. You know, even in a, a little bakery shop, they they broke the windows and they took the the till, even though there was just a few cents in it. It just seemed to not make sense. They apparently they ripped out the mirrors in um in a in a hairdresser's salon. They ripped out the plugs. They ripped out the water the water pipes. And people just don't understand how that violence got so extreme. And I think obviously they're very upset because um, they know this, even though many of them are insured, they, um, they still will probably have to pay a certain amount in, in reparations. And I think what also a lot of people told me is that these young people um, who were looting just saw it as a game. And I heard that like, like an extension of video games. And I heard that both from young people, 15-year-old you know, youth in Aubervilliers and older people both in Montreuil and Aubervilliers. They were saying, you know, it's just like, it was fun. It just felt like a competition of who could loot most. And there was no real realization of the impact of the lives they ruined um, on the ground. One shop owner told me that he started taking sleeping pills for the first time in his life um, because of fear and anxiety um, that these kinds of attacks have brought onto um, his own, you know, him and his wife who run the shop and the community of shop owners around him. So as we speak, the riots are are lessening, are not as intense as they were a week ago. How do you see this playing out? What are, what are there, is there hope that these issues can be addressed? I think that the response has been very strong at a judicial level. A lot of these looters have been brought directly, you know, just after one day or two of detention, they've been brought di directly to be judged in front of a judge. And that happened even on Sunday. And that is quite rare. And I think it's so the Justice Ministry wants to show that it's responding in a firm way against these um, looters, even when they are very young. So um, we've been hearing a lot of complaints on French television about, you know, lawyers representing these young people saying that, that the response has been harsher than necessary because um, they had no prior, you know, problems with the police. Um, but I think at a political level, there's definitely a desire to show that there's a strong reaction. And I'm saying that also because when I was in Montreuil, uh, the shop owners were telling me that their clients are now all saying we're going to vote, you know, uh, for the extreme right in the next presidential elections because we're sick of this. We want law and order. So there's a feeling that this is going to boost the popularity of political parties, including the extreme right, that want a firm response, a kind of law and order response to the issue. Whereas, for example, when I visited the communist-led um, town hall at, at Montreuil, they were telling me, uh, because they are left wing and the population is generally actually left wing there, they want more of a kind of mediation, more mediation in these dangerous suburbs. Um, they want to understand the root cause of the feeling of exclusion and that the government has been too harsh. So I think we're seeing a very polarized discussion debate at a political level for the moment. And we're going to have to see how it evolves in the next month and if people actually, if, if this actually will boost um, a far right response. Many people say they, that in the past, decades, they've seen more violence from the youth and more violence from the police. And that ultimately, you know, it hasn't made the situation any better. Can you tell us about the French banlieue? What's particular about them? And what contributes to the marginalisation that we've been seeing? 
Yeah, so just for example, in my last two days of reporting, I've been spending a lot of time in transport, in public transport, trying to get from point A to point B. So if you try to go, for example, from a southern uh, suburb to an eastern suburb, it's like an hour in public transport. And you can just feel the difference. Like you feel like you're, you're very far away from Paris and the, the center of the city, this kind of cosmopolitan tourist attraction. And as soon as you leave the area outside of Paris, so you have to imagine Paris like one big circle circled by this, this highway. And everybody who lives just outside the highway lives in a very different world. There's much less uh, infrastructure, uh, you know, d- dedicated to youth, for example. As I was saying, there's much less sports infrastructure. There's much less public transport. It's much more crowded. Um, the shops are degraded. You know, you walk through these areas where you can see, uh, they call them the cité. It's just a, basically a place where lots of these big tower blocks, like low-income tower blocks, where people are all living on, one on top of an, each other. And when I was speaking in Aubervilliers to a, a coach who, who helps youth, you know, he teaches them sport. He was telling me that they just, they have access to social media and they, they're like, they're wondering like, what, why are we living five people in a flat, you know, that's just got two bedrooms when we know that just, you know, in Paris, there's just so much wealth, you know, it is like a very wealthy city. So like they, they feel marginalized and it, it's, it's so close yet, you know, so far, really. That was The National's reporter, Suniva Rose. You can keep up with developments in France and Suniva's reporting on thenationalnews.com. This episode was produced by Amy McConaughey, Doa Farid, and Arthur Edison. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with others who might benefit from the conversation.